How's everybody doing this morning? We got a little cold front blowing in. Some of this heat's getting out of here. We can stop overcooling the building, maybe a little. So praise the Lord. It's an honor to be able to get up here this morning and uh, take part in, in First Word. Um, I don't know about you all, but I have thoroughly enjoyed these lessons. Um, I truly feel that it has blessed many people, uh, helped, challenged, um, maybe reconstructed our thinking, um, and I think it will continue to make a huge impact on this church. I love, love the preached Word of God, though, um, but there's something so special about teaching and dissecting Scripture. Uh, Brother Eric did a wonderful job last, last Sunday starting us off in the All in Him series and reminding us of the preeminence Jesus should take in each of our lives. There should be nothing that would take precedence over Jesus in your life. Um, it's my experience and likely the experience of everyone in this place that if you would do that, you would truly be blessed. Your life will be transformed. I wonder if we could pray this morning over the word. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to be in your house. I thank you, God, for your word. I pray, God, that you would let it go forth with your anointing, God. Anoint our hearts and our minds to receive and to hear, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, disclosure. I'm not a big public speaker. Uh, not even a little bit. I, I actually considered singing this entire lesson today. Um, that's kind of more my forte, I would suppose. Um, but I do feel like there's a word for someone in this message today, uh, or lesson, rather. Um, but this morning, I'm going to bring us into the lesson, le lesson two of this series of the, on the book of Colossians. And this is hands down one of my favorite books of the Bible, because although it's, it's only four chapters, it truly embraces and embodies the, the oneness of the Godhead. Um, and that's who we are. Um, I feel the need to preface before I get started, though. I have a ton of scripture. I apologize to S Sister Trish back there. I told her this morning, I joked with her, I said, so I'm planning on lead, reading the entire Bible. So there was a little fear in her eyes. Um, but y'all just try to stay with me. I did not give her all this scripture. Um, but y'all just, if, if you got notes, keep notes. If you don't, ask me for the notes at the end of service. I'll give you the scriptures. But in chapter 2, verse 1 of Colossians, we see Paul speaking to the Colossian church. He is addressing them with, with great concern. He said, for I would that ye knew what great conflict... I have for you, and for them that are Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. He said, what great conflict I have for you. In other words, he has agonized and fought over them for the opposing forces that were trying to come against their understanding that had already been established up to this point. It's important we realize that he's speaking to the church in this passage. Um, 
But he fought for them, obviously not in a physical sense, but rather through much prayer. Scripture tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Much prayer and warring was done and made in the Spirit. Another account that we could parallel this text to is in Luke 22, 31 through 32. Jesus speaking at the Last Supper to Simon Peter, saying, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. It's important for us to know and to take heart, take to heart, that God is fighting for us. That he will place people in your lives, as we see here in Colossae, that are willing to speak up on your behalf, willing to bring your needs to God in prayer, and willing to call you out through love when your feet begin to slip. Whether that be your spouse, which they don't mind doing that at all anyways. Love you, babe. A friend in the church, an elder in the church, or your pastor. I know that goes against everything in our culture we see in this world right now, though, where no one is allowed to say anything to anyone without fear of hurting someone's feelings. But our culture should not reflect that of this world, but rather it should reflect that of Christ. All I'm saying is that it's imperative to have someone that can speak a word in your life, someone that is prayed up. You want them to be prayed up. You don't want just anybody coming and speaking to you. Um, in Colossians 1, 21 through 23, Paul says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. In other words, they were far away from God, living in sin. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And this next part is a reminder. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard. In other words, he's saying, church, you have the free will to do as you please. There are two options here. You live it or you don't. No in-betweens. God said he's not coming back for a lukewarm church. Okay, we got to have that burning fire and that desire in our hearts. But if you stay the course and keep the faith, God himself will, as Scripture says, present you holy in his sight. We need these reminders daily. How do you get these reminders? Okay, I mentioned a few people, but most importantly, reading the Word of God. We have got to have the Word of God present in our lives. Throughout the epistles, we see many accounts where Paul and other apostles warn or plead with the church to refute or prove wrong the false teachings that plague their land and even plague the world even to this day. We must take the same stand against the false teachings of this world just as the apostles did in the early church. First Timothy 4 and 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times or last days that some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and Doctrines of devils. So what is false doctrine? What is false teachings? False doctrine is an idea, thought, 
teaching or belief that is not supported by the word or that directly contradicts the word of God. False teachings come from man through the deception and the lies of Satan himself. It's generated from the lack of seeking out true understanding and wisdom from God and instead relying upon the wisdom of man. Operating in the flesh, you could say, rather than that of the spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 and 14 tells us, But the, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. What's that saying? We must have the Spirit of God living in us to truly understand and fully grasp what is being taught in this Word. We cannot rely upon this right here upon our fleshly wisdom and knowledge. I pray for wisdom, knowledge, and understanding daily. I try to pray every time I open the word um, for God's wisdom to be imparted unto me. Um, and throughout my life and studying the word, and many of you could probably agree, if I don't pray before I dive off into scripture, um, oftentimes I have found myself questioning what God has already revealed to me before through his spirit. When in truth, we don't have the ability to think in the ways of God, and I feel that prayer before the reading of the word places a hedge or a covering around about our minds that protects you from the thoughts that ought not to be there. We should read the word with absolute humility as well. Say, God, show me what you will, change me, and reconstruct me. If we're not willing to move when we're reading it, then we might as well put the Bible to the side. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts, your thoughts. It should be each of our desires to think like Jesus, Things and truly desire to align ourselves and obey the scripture that he has given us to live by. The only way we can operate, as I've said already, is through his spirit. I want to read some passages that directly speak to the church as a warning against false doctrine and false teachings. Ephesians 4 and 14 says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, in which is the head, even Christ. Galatians 1, 6-7 says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ, but unto another gospel, which there is not another but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel. In other words, there's going to be some that will or have tried to convince you that there is another way other than that being taught that we read in Scripture. Colossians 2 and 8 warns us, Beware, Paul is saying, lest any man spoil you through philosophy or the love of wisdom and vain deceit 
after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Why is there so much emphasis given on, in Scripture on the importance of the Godhead if it didn't truly matter? Because it's all in him. 1 Timothy 3 and 16 says, Without controversy, great is a mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the gospel, sorry, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. John 14, 6 through, I hope this scripture is all right this morning, okay. John 14, 6 through 9, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, it says. And from henceforth ye know, ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. We're always looking for a reason, right? We can't just walk in faith sometimes, you know. It, and that, I, I feel that's what Philip was doing here. Jesus said unto him, have I been so long time with thee, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? For he is the image of the invisible God. God said that he would not give his glory to another. He also claims himself to be a jealous God, we read. In Isaiah 43, he declares that there was no God before him, neither shall there be any God after him. He said, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. However, in Luke 2 and 11, it is written, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ our Lord. I think we get where I'm going this morning. In Revelations 1 and 8, Jesus is speaking to John, saying, He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last, the one who was, sorry, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Oop, I was just about to close my page out. Isaiah 44 and 6 tells us, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, this is Old Testament reading, I am the first and the last, and beside me there is no God. Looking back into Revelation, skipping down to 1 and 10 through 11, John speaking again, saying, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Moving on to Revelations 4 and 1, 1 and 2, John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me. What's that referring to? Revelations 1 and 10. Which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee, show thee things which must be hereafter. And it says that John was immediately in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one set upon that throne. If you happen to read the, have the red letter edition Bible, make a note to Look at Revelations 1 and 8 where Jesus is speaking and compare that passage to Revelations 21, 6 through 7. 
Jesus spoke this same thing earlier on in the book of Revelations, and he said unto me, it is done. I am, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely, and he that overcometh, that's you and me, if we overcome, shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Another account given of the revelation of Jesus Christ is found in John 20, 27 through 29. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold thy hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they, though, that have not seen me, yet have believed. These scriptures truly embody the undeniable oneness of God. So where do we go after we have received the understanding of who God truly is? Does it simply stop at believing? James 2.19 says it best, Thou believest that, thou, that there is one God, thou doest well. However, the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And based off this last portion of this verse, I want to bring to light another verse that ties hand in hand. Ephesians 2.8-9, For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I've had many conversations in times past revolved around this scripture. I personally feel that it is, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, maybe one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. Not of works is, is talking about good deeds charitable giving, and things that are given to try to earn salvation. These things, though they bring reward after salvation, will not bring you salvation alone. For There is nothing that we can do on our own to earn the salvation of God. That, that is proven in the very same verse, lest any man should boast or say, look at what I did to inherit eternal life. But we must remember that although we can't earn salvation, that does not mean that we can negate obedience. I know it will come as a shock to most of you, especially my wife, but men are not always the best at following instructions. Shocker, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have any of you guys ever, or women, probably men, um, tried to put together toys on Christmas Day. I know you have. If you're like me, you try to look at the picture and assemble it based off the picture. I don't think I've ever succeeded in this. Um, <laughs> every time without fail, though, I end up having to undo what I tried on my own to put together because I have... I always have missing pieces in the end or pieces in the wrong place. Why is that? Because I put faith in myself putting the toy together. Therefore, I didn't feel the need to follow the instructions given by the engineer that designed the toy in the first place. 
and the end result is never the right outcome. It's the exact same with faith. Faith must come with obedience. When we step aside and put our faith in God, then we will obey the book of his instructions, the word of God. He has laid before us, making the end result to be in his will. If you don't have obedience, then you are truly not walking in faith towards God, but you are putting faith within yourself. Hebrews 11 and 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed. So by faith, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. We may not ever ever understand fully the direction God wants us to go. By faith, the woman with the issue of blood worked diligently to gain access to Jesus against the press of the crowd of people in order to receive her healing. If healings and an inheritance take works through faith, how much more should salvation require of us the same? Many would agree that repentance is required to make it to heaven, yet that is still a work within itself. True faith in the gospel is obedience to the gospel. I believe that scripture points us further beyond simply believing, which leads me to my next point. In Colossians 2 and 11, Paul says, And you are complete in him, being Christ, which is the head of all the principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The covenant of circumcision served as a covenantal seal. From the very moment God made this covenant with Abraham, the, the world would be divided into two ethnic groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, or the circumcised and the uncircumcised. One had access to the covenant and one did not. But only after the circumcision of the flesh could the people enter into a covenant relationship with God. Therefore, without circumcision, you had no covenant with God. Moving forward into the New Testament, we have been given access to that covenant. Thank the Lord for that. But just, as, just like the Old Testament covenant requires circumcision in the flesh, we all must, must go through spiritual circumcision in order to enter into a covenant relationship with God. We see the fulfillment of this firstly in the book of Acts chapter 10 with a man named Cornelius. I think most everybody knows this story, so I'm going to briefly touch on a few things. Cornelius was a Gentile, and it is said of him that he was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house and prayed to God always. And I'd like to add here that Cornelius's knowledge of the Word of God was lived out to the best of his abilities, but God had more in store for him. With that being said, I want to briefly touch on this thought. A lot of times God gives us a bucket, and we find ourselves complacent with the contents that are in that bucket, to where if we aren't allowed, sorry, if, if we aren't careful, we also find ourselves missing out on the overflow of what he truly desires to do in our lives. A bucket full of water is just that. It's simply a bucket full of water. 
A river that isn't moving forward is just another still body of water. And that is the same way with us. When God sends an opportunity to grow beyond your current knowledge or belief, it's important that we step into the flow, submitting to the voice of God, and in doing so, not only does it fill us beyond what we can contain, but it also flows into and everyone around us. I truly believe that. Throughout Acts chapter 10, you will read about an encounter that supports this thought. Both Cornelius, a Gentile, and Peter, a Jew, had visions confirming the work that God had desired to do in Cornelius' life and his, fa- his family and all the Gentiles as a whole. Acts chapter 10 says, He saw a vision about the ninth hour of the day, and an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and paraphrasing, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one surname, Peter, Simon Peter. On the very next day in Peter's vision, we see where he had a moment that he questioned the Lord. But God responded with, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Peter was limited in his own understanding, putting limitations on the abilities and plan of God. Why? Because of tradition. But in spite of Peter's doubts, God had already put the plan in action because of the response and faith of a man that was hungry for more and willing to do whatever it took to receive more, that man being Cornelius. God's will will be done when the rubber meets the road. If you can't be used, he's going to use somebody else. I have found that out in life. Um, All it requires is our willingness to respond. Skipping ahead to verse 33, Cornelius is speaking to Peter and the, the men saying, Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast done well. Sorry, thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. If you read on, we see Peter delivers the word that he was commanded to speak. And in verse 44, while he spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them, which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, the Jews, which believed, were astonished or amazed, because that on the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How did they know that? For they heard them speak with other tongues and magnify God. Emphasis on the word for here. There was something audible and visual that they saw to know that they had received it the same way. And I like the way that the New Living Translation says this next part. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Ghost just as we did, just as we did in the beginning? So he gave orders or commanded for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 11 is what I like to call the recap or the replay chapter of the events that we have just seen take place. Peter telling the accounts of how the angel had said to Cornelius to send for a man named Peter, and verse 14 is the key here, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and thy house shall be saved. And as I begin to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us in the beginning. What's the beginning that he's speaking of? This was the day of Pentecost. 
This was the day of the birth of the church. This was the day that Peter preached the plan of salvation to the people that were stirred in their hearts enough to ask, what shall we do? He said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We see another similar, similar, I knew I was going to do it. My wife gets on to me because I say similar. Been doing it for, I guess, 37 years. We see another similar account like this in the book of Acts, 18, going into 19. Brother Eric briefly touched on this last week. But in 1824, we read of a man named Apollos. That was an eloquent man and mighty in Scripture, and he spoke and taught diligently the things of the Lord, yet only knowing the baptism of John. In other words, just as Cornelius was, he was living and preaching to the best of his abilities with the revelation that he had been given up to that point. But when Aquila and Priscilla, I say that right? Yeah, okay. Heard him speaking. They pulled him aside and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Acts 19, 2, 5 through 6. Um, Acts chapter 2, sorry, my bad. Acts chapter 19, verse 2. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye have believed? They said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Moving on to verse 5, when they heard the preachings or the teachings of Paul, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So, I'll ask again, why was there a need to expound further knowledge, further understanding, if it didn't matter in the sense of eternity? What's the common factors that come into play in these passages? We see faithful servants to God, doing and living for God to the best of their knowledge and revelation that they had been given by God up to this point. We see a people that are not complacent when given the opportunity for more, but also a willingness to hear maybe a more perfect way than that which they may have seen before. We see the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the visible and audible evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. We also see water baptism given in the name of Jesus. These encounters with God happened to the Jews circumcised on the day the church was birthed. We also see these same encounters take place on the day the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, were adopted into the church. So if these notable encounters took place in order to birth and adopt the church, shouldn't they still be a part of the plan to continue the growth of the church to this day? We won't make heaven our home without first and foremost believing, and that is scripture. We won't make heaven our home without repentance, that is scripture. We won't make heaven our home without his spirit, for that is scripture. Because when he pulls his spirit from the earth, those that are filled with it are going with it. And lastly, we won't make heaven our home 
without his name being applied to our lives. And that too is scripture. All accounts in scripture is given lead us to believe that the only way that we can have the name applied, and Brother Eric touched on this last week, is to be baptized in his name. There's no other way mentioned that I've found. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Just as the Old Testament requires circumcision or the cutting away of the flesh to obtain a covenant relationship with God, the New Testament plan of salvation requires the same. And when we are baptized in the name of Jesus, we are not only applying the name of Jesus to our lives, but also we are cutting off the old man, the old flesh, the sin that once weighted us down. 1 Peter 3, 20 through 21 speaks of the water that saved Noah and his family and how that the water through baptism also now saves us. It says not the putting away of the, the physical dirt of the flesh, but by the answer of a good conscience towards God, by the res- resurrection of Jesus Christ. We must be baptized with him, sorry, buried with him, being Jesus, in baptism. Colossians 2 and 12 says, Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation who hath raised him from the dead. Baptism signifies the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We must all go through this dying out process as well. But once we are dead to our old man, we must be reborn or born again into his newness of life. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus saying, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Romans 6, 3 through 5, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Well, wrapping this up this morning, I want to give three more scriptures, all of the same account to bring the study back full circle. Going back to the book of Matthew, we can now look at 28 and 18 in a new light if you hadn't seen it before. Go ye therefore, and these, these next three accounts also were the same account given by three of the apostles. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost. Once again, every account ever written in Scripture of baptism for the remission of sins was always given in the name of Jesus. The name must be applied because it's all in him. Mark 16, 15 through 16, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Luke 24 and 47, And the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So we've now completed the circle. It all points back to who? Jesus. We need his forgiveness. We need his spirit. We need to be buried in his precious name. I truly believe that if we mirror exactly what we see in these scriptures and apply this plan 
of salvation that we will truly make heaven our home. I hope I've challenged somebody's thinking today. Um, and I hope I've been able to relay what I felt in the spirit. I pray that this has blessed each of us and takes us either each further in our understanding. I'm going to leave you with one more passage, though. 2 Timothy 3 and 16, hands down one of my favorite scriptures in the Word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto good works. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? We're about to close this session out, and we'll have about a 10-minute break, and then we'll kick off our main service. I recently got a check from, a, from an individual to take care of something. There was a set amount that was given. So the amount was filled in, but the check was blank. I really wish that I'd get a check one day where the amount is blank and they say, just fill in what you want. What we're talking about this morning is a God who has given you access, basically giving you the ability to have great things in spirit, to go further. I want everything that God has for me, for my family, and for this city. When that name is applied for that account, you can walk in there and you can hand it and say, I need X amount out of so-and-so's account, and if they see their name on that check, guess what? Jackpot. But if the name isn't applied, they're going to look at you and they're going to say, hey, weirdo, this is nothing more than a piece of paper. It has no authority. It has no merit. I want access to everything that God has. He says it's all in him. When the name is applied, I walk in, and it's as if I walk into the, to the bank, if you will, and I've got the signed document sealed with the name, and they say, okay, you write the check for how much you want, and whatever you need comes out of the vault because the name has been applied to your life. You know what? I want you to get everything that God has for your family, everything that God has for your job, everything that God wants to do within your world and your sphere. And that happens when that name has been applied. All of a sudden, you have access. I feel the Lord in this place this morning. Let's just, let's just close this with prayer. God, I thank you for your spirit that is here. I thank you for your touch, for your word that we've heard this morning. I'm asking, God, that you would just continue throughout the day to touch us and to stir us and to challenge our hearts and minds. We ask it, O oh Lord, in that lovely, precious name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen.